Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by Marv Bands. The Marv Band is the next big thing in player development. Marv's training patented handle design allows for more muscle activation and additional exercises, including movement prep for hitters, making it the go-to tool for arm care and hitting activation. Use code AOTC for 10% off of team sets and check it out at www.marvtraining.com. Today we have on Andy Haynes, Major League Hitting Coach for the Milwaukee Brewers. Andy is in his second season in the Brewers organization, and prior to joining the Brewers, he spent one season as the assistant hitting coach with the Chicago Cubs. Under Haynes and hitting coach Chili Davis, the Cubs led the National League in batting average and ranked second in on-base percentage in 2018. He also served as the minor league hitting coordinator for Chicago in 2016 and 2017 and spent eight seasons with the Miami Marlins where he joined the organization in 2008 as the rookie GCL Marlins hitting coach. On the show, we discuss the differences in working with big leaguers and minor leaguers and amateurs. And we also go over game planning, pre-game routines, and all of this ties back into gaining trust with our players. You're going to love this episode with Andy Haynes. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your bookshelf right now, trying to read as many of those as, as I can. And, and obviously, you're an astute learner, um, and which we'll get into that here in just a minute. But listeners, I, I'd love to take just a minute to encourage you guys to hit the subscribe button below, just so you don't miss any great episode, episodes. And I'd also love it that if you could rate and review the show. And the only reason I ask is just to get the word out of the amazing guests that we've been able to get on the show and, and interview and, and get to learn from. Uh, but Andy, can you give us a short snot, or short snapshot of your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching? Yeah, it's, you know, you look up and uh, it's hard to keep it short. Um, you know, a lot of people think they saw me a few years ago and said, man, it happened pretty quickly for you. I'm like, well, let's sit down and go over it. <laughs> um, but it's a humble background. It really is. And, um, you know, I, I was a catcher in college, thought I had a okay college career. Um, you know, graduated in 2000, uh, was not drafted. So then you're, you're kind of looking around like what's next, what in the world am, am I going to do? Um, and then obviously my network of people are in baseball and, um, some people had recommended I should give coaching a try. And I started at the bottom, man, you know, um, junior college coach in Illinois, only central, uh, one of the best baseball guys at any level, uh, fortunate <clears throat> to start with him. Then, Really, at that time, you know, I, I wasn't sure professional baseball was even an avenue, you know, because if you didn't play in the big leagues, I felt like you were kind of invisible. So um, at that point, I went and took a graduate assistant job at Middle Tennessee State. In the summers, I was going to coach in the Northwoods League, got a chance to manage for the first time, Northwoods League, which was a great experience. Um, and then also, you know, since the independent uh, league started later, there were some people that um, – kind of recommend me to a guy to come like coach third for and be a hitting guy. Fell in love with it. Uh, met a lot of cool people. One of them being Anthony Iaposi, uh, actually played for me in a pennant ball. Oh, no. And, um, that's awesome. Yep. And then, uh, that's how we met. <clears throat> so, you know, uh, long story long here. Um, Anthony recommended me to the Marlins to interview. So I interviewed with them. 
and was fortunate that the front office there um, really didn't hold my background, um, you know, as this major thing. It was more about can you teach and, and can you coach and can you help players and do you really want to do this? And uh, I said, yeah. So I, I got in a uh, Gulf Coast League job. I uh, was fortunate, kept getting opportunities all the way to AAA with the Marlins. And another thing that was incredible timing looking back was I was just able to grow with some great kids and really good prospects, you know. Um, I always joke we kind of grew up together because I didn't even know, you know, at the time what was happening, right? You just, your head's down, you're doing the best you can, but <clears throat> you look back like, you know, it's just talked about a lot, but JT Realmuto, Jose Fernandez, Marcelo Zuna. I kind of grew up with those guys, man. I joke, like, I don't know why those guys listen to anything I said, uh, but they knew I cared at least. And uh, uh, we grew up together. So then opportunity came with the Cubs, um, be the hitting coordinator. And when I met with those guys, I knew right away, like, all right, this is a really good opportunity, tremendous people. And then I did that for two years. And then um, in the 18, I was able to uh, – be able to put on their big league staff as assistant hitting coach, which was, uh, you know, obviously like a big moment, I think, uh, personally, just to kind of have Theo Epstein call you and have confidence in you and Joe Madden, those people I respected a lot. And then did that for a year. And then again, really fortunate um, that the Brewers interviewed me for their hitting coach job. I was able to get the job and uh, thought I'd be in middle of year two right now, you know? Uh, So, Yeah. Been very fortunate, and here I am, hitting coach for the Brewers, and um, you know, very, very fortunate. Oh, that's wonderful. And and you mentioned uh, growing up with JT. So my my first coaching job in high school, uh, they were in our in our district, and they had I think like four or five draft picks. They had a really really good team, and and that was the year in high school. I think he set the it maybe single season or maybe all time RBI record. And so I was in charge of like doing the spray charts and literally every one of them. So then we drew them out. So you had like your field and like all of them were like over the fence. And I was like, I don't know how to defend this guy. Like he just hits home runs every single time. And so it's been really cool to, to be able to see that because he was a shortstop then yep. and a wildcat quarterback. And to see his transformation into one of the best catchers in the game has been really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, him and, you know, that whole group that came in, JT was, um, like you said, he had not caught and but just i mean like incredible athlete um like just sneaky like crazy good athlete and aptitude and those leadership skills stood out you could tell he was a high school quarterback i mean it was easy to see and um, yeah they won state too they were good he just kept kept getting better and better um you know kind of right in front of our eyes and uh just proud of him man it's cool to see him doing what he's doing very cool and it's good to see it's really cool to see all of those guys uh, that, that you mentioned just grow. I'm sure it's, it's really cool to see them grow beside you and, and you guys all uh, move up the ladder together, which is really cool. Uh, but, but another question that, that comes up because you, you were a manager in the minor leagues and you were hitting coach in the minor leagues for a while, and then you got the big league job. And so uh, something that we always talk about, uh, especially whenever I was an amateur or, or, and now we talk about this almost daily is, what is the difference between minor league guys, amateur guys, and then big leaguers? Because there is a difference. And so you're working with some of the best people in the world. You're working with some of the best players in the world. And so how are you, how do you go about on a daily basis as an asset and an advocate for them? And, and they're there for a reason. So how do you help them to continue to get better? How do you push them? How do you decide 
the moments when to intervene and when to let them go. Just kind of what's your process uh, with working with those guys? Yeah, Jonathan, that's one of the best questions I've been asked. And I think it's under like rated or, or taken for granted sometimes within the industry of, of what it's like to talk and coach major league players. I would say from like a technical side, the longer the, uh, anybody plays the game, they have more awareness of, of who they are. Um, they've been talked to a lot. They've been coached a lot more. Um, you know, the, the game is the best teacher. So the more those guys play, the, the, the game has taught them, you know, who they are. And the, and the problems you have when you're young are going to be the problems you have when you're older. They don't go away. Um, and guys are just more aware of them, can maintenance them. So, you know, that's from a technical side. And as a player grows and develops and, and as they, be, you know, get to the big leagues, you're going to have a lot more dialogue with them. And they're, you're trying to push the needle, right? And you're trying to help these guys. And I always say, if I'm in big league camp and I go wander down to, to field four, you can see some things really clearly that a player needs to do. It's just so obvious. Now you go back to the, you know, feature field, I call it the show field and watch the big boys. And if those guys are off a little bit, um, you, it's so hard to see. Um, so like you're trying to move the needle on the best players in the world from the technical standpoint, that's not as easy as people think. I think it's one of the most difficult things in the world. I mean, the best I've seen are, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, Yelich, Ryan Braun, um, Grandall had a great year and these superstar players and all the Cubs guys, man, I was around Rizzo, Bryant, but all of them, I go on and on just watching them. And, you know, I just think it's more challenging than people think like, Oh, because you are, you, you might only move at 1%. They're still going to be great players, but I'm like, if that, what you fight for every day is, is you're getting more out of those guys and be at their best all the time. And that's challenging from a technical standpoint, because it's not easy to see and you're fighting for it every day. And, um, you know, the dialogue, I would say, I saw it when I was in AAA, when a guy goes to the big leagues and he comes back, he doesn't even look at you like the same player. Um, it, it changes them. And I would say um, they're more guarded, they, they, and they have to be, rightfully so. There's more people that want at them right away, uh, more people in their ear. So, you know, some advice I got, I was in, in AAA, I was a young manager and, and thought, I, you know, like, hey, I'm, re I'm ready to go here. You know, why hasn't somebody put me in the big leagues manager team? <laughs> and uh, it's like, hey, man, Hainsey, you're, you're going to do this. It's just you, you do have to learn how to talk to major league players. And I kind of heard it, kind of didn't. Like, talk to players, man. That's what I do. I, uh, I, no issue ever talking to players. But then you do realize um, that's what you're navigating every day, man. And it's not you – can't, you can't trick them. They have unbelievable savvy of who wants something from them, whose agenda is not real, um, who can help them, who can't. You're not going to trick them, man. And, and you want to be a guy that's different, I call it. If somebody tells me, Andy, can you get Rizzo to sign this for me, man? This guy's sick and wants something. Or, and I, I'm sad to say, as a major league coach, I can't ask him for anything. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you have to be a different voice for him, somebody different that's in their circle. Um, and all those things you're fighting for every day, you, you want to have a license to coach them. You know, one thing I tell the guys is like, hey, man, there's nobody that looks up to you more than me putting the feet in the box in there. And in the show, you're the best in the world, but I'm not going to ask for your autograph. Like, I want to coach you. 
and I'll have like this license to do that and get good feedback from you. And uh, we're going to have to have that dialogue because major league players want to get better too. And they want to be coached. Um, but you're fighting for it every day, man. When they're, when they go zero for four and punch out three times, I think one of the best examples I've learned from, from mentors along the way, our natural instinct is to try to fix them and help them, you know? And it's like, if you think about what their 24 hours has been like, their girlfriend's called them, their mom and dad's checked on them, their agents, are you okay? And I think one of the best things you can do is kind of survey the room and come in and say, Hey man, did you see that basketball game last night? And you change the subject and you see the pressure just like, thank God this guy's got to talk about it, try to fix me. And it also comes across like you're not worried also. And then usually 20 minutes later, they come to you like, Hey man, what do you got? Versus coming in thinking you have to fix them right away. There, there's a lot to it. I think it's, that's my whole world. If you can't tell mm-hmm. every right. day you, you are basically thinking about your 12 hitters and what each guy needs from you every day. And, um, you know, because somebody needs something every day and that's what you're thinking about on a daily basis. No, I love that. And, and that's, I, I don't, I don't mean this in a rude way. And that's kind of been a common answer when I, whenever I've gotten to ask big league guys. Uh, and so it's, I would say it's an easy answer, but it's really hard to do because I think that, like you said, our, our natural, I have no experience with this, by the way, our natural reaction with any player is, Hey, I want to help. Uh, but in, you know, they, they, what's the saying that, that, uh, the teacher will show up when the student is ready. Yeah. And so I've been really, I'm not a patient person. Like I've been really, really trying to work on that. Like that's one of, one of the things that, that I've gotten, I've had to be really uh, aware of, uh, just because I, that I feel like if I really try it, something that I can get it done <laughs> besides Spanish, Spanish is, I've had to be really patient with Spanish too, because it's really hard, uh, to learn. But it's just, you know, it, it, it's, that has been the common theme of some of the better uh, coaches that I've had on, including yourself, which is really, really neat and really cool. But it's, it's something that's not easy to do because, like you said, uh, we, we are constantly trying to help them. And, and instead, you know, I, I think it's ego-less, but it's like, man, I, I really I, I hate to see them struggle. They're like, you know, your brothers and your kids. Uh, you would rather, you know, help them and, and, and let the, and ease that suffering, I guess, would be the easy way to put it. But well, I, I, I think, love that answer. I love that answer. Well, I think a, a good example for you, Jonathan, is um, you're always coaching. You're always, I think you, you can do that better, have more freedom to do that when you know you're confident. You're studying these guys all day, you know, mm-hmm. um, all the time. So I'm aware of what's happening. I'm aware of who they are when they're at their best. I'm aware of when things are not going well, usually what happens for them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have a, because they're in the big leagues and they've played so long, usually your opinion's not, you don't need your opinion much. Like they have their story built. Like this is usually what's happening. This is what they do well. And so I'm looking at that every day, you know, mm-hmm. like we talk about like using the data and having big samples, but it's like sometimes in the big leagues, my sample is one pitch, man. Like were you on time on that pitch? Did you have your body, what you needed to do? Um, so when you're that confident and then, you know, the major league players, you want them to, to trust you and be able to come to you, um, you know, and, and, and the cages are sanctuary, man. Like mm-hmm. they got to be comfortable. Um, they got to, they got to trust that they're going to have space, but they can come to you. And when they come to you, you got to be ready. You don't get mulligans with major league players. Um, sure. you know, the, the younger level, lower levels, I say, I was lucky cause I made a lot of mistakes. You got, I got away with them and I learned and the big leagues, you don't get away with them because 
that's just the nature of what they do to be able to really help them. And you, when they ask, you got to know. And of course, if you mm-hmm. don't, I'm going to tell them, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but in 24 hours I will be. Um, I, I think like that, that goes a long way too, you know, instead of trying to BS your way through it. It's like, and you got, you got to be certain um, of what you're speaking to them. Sure. I think that, so our hitting coordinator always talked about preparing maybe seven months for a seven minute conversation. I, th- I think you may have stolen that from you at Slugfest or at uh, Maley's clinic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really took that to heart of like, man, okay, it's, you know, and again, I'm, I'm a minor league coach. I'm basically an assistant hitting coach. And so I'm not the hitting coach on the team that, that I was with, but, you know, thinking and trying to prepare myself for if that happens someday and just getting to, to learn from everybody to do that. But that's really interesting that you say that and, and that that's, that's been brought up quite a bit too. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that success leaves clues. And so getting to hear that from yourself and, and some other really good hitting guys, it's, it's really something that if I'm not taking in that, that I'm missing an opportunity there. Uh, but another thing that, that is really interesting to me so you get the the hitting job in 2019. This would have been your second year. How did you, so from the moment that you accepted it, how did you go about preparing yourself for uh, 2019? So I know you mentioned that you knew uh, Yelich and I, I, you may have known some of the other guys from around the league, but how did you prepare yourself for those conversations? How did you prepare, your, prepare yourself for the job, the everyday job? Yeah, no, man, I think, um, being with the Cubs in 2018, being the assistant was like invaluable. Um, my personality is not to be like, you know, the assistant type guy, like my, my nature, like I want to lead and I want to be in charge. Um, but that was like what I needed because you see things so clearly sometimes when you're more, more from the bottom and I'm, I'm, my head's on a swivel watching players, what they need, what they don't like. Um, so I look back like, man, some of the experiences were like, I just, I, every day in the, in 2019, there's something that I was better for because of what I'd seen in 18. And, um, so that was like really valuable. The other thing is when I, when I interviewed for the job, like I, I mean, I prepared like ridiculous amount. So I had studied so much cause I want to be prepared and, and show them who I was. Um, but then when I got offered the job and accepted it, you really have to familiar, familiarize yourself with their internal system they use. So I went from Chicago and and on that every day to the brewer system. Um, and then, you know, I, I think one thing I take pride in is being really authentic, um, not forcing things. So I didn't want to call guys and have these, like, I call them like eyewash conversations. Like, how's your family? I don't even know your family. Um, you know, I don't even know what's going on. So um, I just sent some texts, people I knew said, I can't wait, um, you know, to get started with you. So I kind of eased my way into that part of it. I talked to Craig Council a lot, Pat Murphy, our bench coach, um, two guys that I think highly of. Getting um, reasons of why um, this was happening, of of things I studied, um, guys' personality traits, what am I missing here? Why is this guy doing this? Why did this change? It was just nonstop. Um, Then our advanced guy that's with me every day, Brian Pawalish, you know, he does the advance on the other pitchers. I'm talking to him about our templates and, you know, and then, so I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of familiar, familiarizing myself with our whole infrastructure because I was walking in a situation pretty healthy, you know, which is unique. So I want to make an impact there, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be disruptive either. So I knew I was kind of threading the needle there also, you know, cause these guys know what they're doing and it's healthy, 
but my personality is not, uh, not that I still want to push and see how we can get better. So I was navigating that. And then what you just talked about the, the seven months for seven minutes, I think I used four, four months for four minutes, but I said like, there's so many guys that I didn't want to push myself on. I wanted to exude confidence. And when I would ask them a question like, Hey, tell me what you got. And mm-hmm. they would mention something. And I said, well, it's interesting. Cause that's, that's not what I have. Uh, but we'll talk about it. You know, when you're ready next couple of weeks, whenever, and usually like they're knocking on my door, you know, yeah, as soon as the days are no like, what, what was you talking about? And I said, well, this mm-hmm. is just what I've seen, what I got, like, but tell me, you know, where I, what I'm missing. And then you kind of mm-hmm. pique their interest and then you're off to the races after that. No, I really like that. And again, it's, it, we're fighting for their attention. And I, I think that, that you meant, you, I was doing some research. And so I listened to the stick and ball podcast with sheets and he does a, he does a fantastic job. And you talked about, we are constantly fighting for the attention of our players. And I, it's never been more true in our, in the history of the world that there has been so much, so many avenues, uh, that, that we can go down as far as just attention goes like, and what we focus on. And so uh, for our listeners who are curious about you mentioning that, can you go a little bit more, more in depth with what you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I touched on it earlier. I think the life of a major league player, you know, they just have a lot of people that um, need something from them during the day. They have a lot of people giving them opinions and mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on the hitting side, I preach this to our coaches a lot in the minor leagues. I love having dialogue with them is when you're in the cage, even during a game, like you, you can't just spout your opinion. You can't be wrong. You can't say, Hey, you know, like you don't do well on this pitch when actually they perform really well on that pitch. So when players know, like this guy is ultra prepared, he's not going to tell me something that he's not a thousand percent sure of. Um, you have to be different. You know, like we have this saying, like it's ride or die, man. Like I'm going to ride with you. And then that means I'll die with you too. Like, Sure. And they, they have to know you'll do that. Like, and that's part of the job, man. If, if you're vanilla and you're a warm body, I call it just protecting yourself. You don't have them. You're not impacting them. You're not making a difference. You're not out there with them. Um, you know, I have, I have a saying, I flinched one time to duck out and the guy goes, did you just flinch? I said, dude, my, I have clay in my spikes right now. I'm in the box. I'm seeing seams in there right now. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I actually that. saw seams on that four seamer. And, um, it's like a little bit of a joke, but it's like true. Mm-hmm. Like true. If, if they don't sense that from you, you're not going to be able to impact them, you know, and they're paying you to impact them. They're not paying you to try to keep your job and, mm-hmm. and play it safe. And, and maybe that works for some guys, but in the grand scheme of things, it's like, that's not why they're paying you. Um, and it's, it's a little messy and it's bloody. Um, but to impact them, man, they have to know you're that guy. Oh, I, I love that. And, and I, just a couple of things that I've taken from you so far is it's your, it's your willingness to be authentic. Number one, which I, I think, you know, my wife and I have these conversations all the time of, you know, what do great leaders look like? And, and I, I talked about, you know, their motivators, uh, whether that's spoken or non and, and they find the right ways to push people past their comfort level every single day. And she talked about being authentic and I was like, man, I really like that too. Like that's, that's so good. And so we, we, it was a good discussion that we had, uh, cause she wants to get into administration at some point. And so we, we talk about leaders uh, in schools and then obviously leaders on the field too. Uh, and then another thing that, that you mentioned was your, your willingness to say, I don't know. 
And I think that that's a huge part of authentic authenticity. And you'd rather be a thousand percent right, like you said, or, or say, I don't know. And I'll find out, let me get back to you and then you'll do it. And I, how, how much, how much willingness do you get from the players after you do those things? That's the only way they're going to trust you, man. Otherwise, not going to ask you. You're just like everybody else. You're just another. I call it Charlie Brown, like Mm. wah wah wah. You know that show, like. Right. Yeah. And a good friend of mine is Joe Espada, who's a bench coach with Houston, and um, you know we talk baseball. He's him and Anthony Iaposi and I and John Maley. There's a group of us. Brandon Hyde. um, We're all with the Marlins, and we were just a ball rookie ball grunts, you know. So we've kind of been on this mission for a long time. And, and I asked uh, Joe one time about uh, Brett Strom and Verlander and Garrett Cole. I said, because mm-hmm. when you get guys that are established and to get them to make adjustments, it's the hardest thing in the world, man. These guys have right. been like all-stars, Cy Young, you know, and it's like those guys made some adjustments in Houston. And I said, sure. you can't tell me they just looked at this data and they did it. I said, the players are not like that. Like, and also you're way on a limb because these guys have been really good and you're telling them you can do this better. And he said, you know, Strami is, um, he won Verlander over because Verlander would test him and say, what do you got on this? And Strom studied, had his homework. And then he, if he wasn't like a thousand percent right, he said, you know, JV in 24 hours, like I'm not quite a hundred percent sure. I think I know, but I'm not, I'm not going to tell you cause I, I got to make sure on this. I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow. He mm-hmm. goes, and you saw Verlander, okay. right? The expression on his face was, all right, this guy's in. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that, that hit home with me. And that's, that's the difference. Like in a ball, you know, you, you don't have them, so to speak, you still got to win them, but they, they don't have as much Intel where like a Verlander, that type of guy, if you can make mm-hmm. that guy better as a coach, I'm like, uh, yeah, it gives you a lot of confidence. Right. Like that's the hardest player in the world to help is a guy that's mm-hmm. elite, um, you know, it's just hard to move that needle and be there for him and actually coach him. Sure. And, and obviously credit to, to Justin too. I mean, to, for, for listening and obviously he took off and did extremely well after that, but I love that story. And that's, that's really neat because obviously I, d- I don't know Brent. I, I just know of him. I know that I've had so many people that have, that have told me he's one of the best coaches on the planet. And I've heard nothing that would dispute that for sure. Uh, but, but I also, uh, know that that data is a big part of our game, and I know that that it's it, it it is also something that whenever we're talking with players about that, that it's something that we need to understand and simplify and communicate with them authentically uh, about that. And so, how, what's the best way that you found to be able to do that? Because it, it it can be extremely overwhelming. And if you say that it doesn't matter, then again, that's another instance that I think that you could lose a player saying, oh, that, you know, that launch angle stuff, that that stuff doesn't matter because it made to them. And so what, what has been your process on interpreting data, figuring out what's important and just kind of walk us through that because I think that it's a hill that we're all climbing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's ongoing. I think it's a constant battle because I always say data is really powerful, man. And like with that comes a lot of responsibility. You can be careless with it. You can also like move the needle in a you know, tremendous direction for you. Um, it doesn't tell you what to do. That's, that's my like thing I've come to this year, like it does not tell you, it tells you which direction to go. Um, and there's a difference in like what a front office does. They're, they're trying to acquire a player. They're trying to see who a player is. 
but that data used the same way in coaching. I feel like in our, what's trending can be reckless and it's tricky because we're in the world of like, all right, what is happening right now? And then like, why is that happening? Um, with data and tech too, I could use technology in the same, same sentence because like, I'm not trying to acquire a player. I'm in the weeds with them trying to figure out what is happening, you know? And then like, I want to know from our analytics, like who this guy should be, who he is. Um, I want to know all that, but then my next layer, I call it an onion. You're peeling back layers of why, and then I'm trying to keep him at his best every day. So, all right, is this, is this just random? This is round bat, round ball. This is happening. He's off or no, this is real. And he's not at his best of who he should be. And the data is not my opinion. So when I present it to a player, it takes my opinion out of it, which is scary for a player. It's like, this is your story right here. That's how I present it. This is your story in your career of who you've been, what you're good at. These are areas you can improve. I mean, why this story is like this. And the, and again, I, I said it earlier, you're off to the races because that empowers the player to tell you why that's happening as opposed to me telling him who he is um, speaking like an absolutes and these things. So I just think the industry of a whole with tech and data, it's easy to say, well, you need to do this, but the player has all these reasons of why this is happening or why it's not happening. And you listen to, to elite players explain how they get to their success. It's like baffling. It's like, dude, that makes no sense. What are you talking about? That's wrong. But it works. That's how they get to like elite success, you know, sure. um, versus another guy. Mm-hmm. So I think presenting data is their story. It's not mine. It's not the front offices. Um, and then that's how you can like improve in certain areas too, you know, and then using comparable players like, Hey, this, these top 10 players perform really well in this area and you're not <laughs> like, why is that happening? And you have their attention to use it to help them. And then what's kind of maddening is I'm studying and I'm asking questions from, you know, guys that are really smart. And like you said, sometimes to, to make it good for the player, I have to know so much information to simplify it for them. Um, you know, and I've, it's almost insulting for a player to say, present it to them in a certain way. Like, Hey, just do this and you're going to be better. You know, they're, they're a major league player and they're facing 99 with cut or sink. So that's, that's also like in my seat. Um, I want to be able to sit with R and D guys and live in their world. Um, you know, but the players will have to live in too. And they can be insulted sometimes. Um, but it's awesome, man. And as a coach, it does, it takes away. You're not going to miss. You're not going to make assumptions. You're not going to guess as much. And then now it simplifies it to why this is happening, how for that player. And then now you're, you know, you're held accountable for the player and he's held accountable too. Um, and you can track changes over time, which is really powerful, you know, with, with the data. Um, and that's my job, like changes over time during major league season, because when we sign a player, right they're, they have their projections and this is what we need them to be. And my job's like, it's got to be at his best, you know, as much as we can make him at his best and keep him from these down moments and just keep pushing every day for those guys to be at their best. 
Well, that's fantastic. And there's a couple different ways that, that I want to go with that too. Uh, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind whenever you were mentioning, uh, you know, sometimes what the player's feeling and what, what's going on in their mind is, isn't necessarily what's happening at times. And I immediately went to Christian Yelich whenever he's explaining on, uh, it was a podcast a little, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about Barry Bonds having him literally swing down so far that he would hit the ball on top of the plate. I love that. Like, I thought that that was, that was hilarious. Did you get a chance to see that? And, and yeah, does he actually he, do that? I love him. I think he does that stuff on purpose, man. Cause he, uh, hitting Twitter to him is so irritating. <laughs> I, th- I think he's just playing games with people. I don't know. That's, uh, that's, I love that's him. Awesome. That's awesome. But what awesome. he's, so what, what I've learned about that, Jonathan, I think is, I'm kind of passionate about like these things is kind of working backwards. Um, I think seems very powerful right now. And I think the industry as a whole, because of technology and what we've learned, and it's been great for me, man. Like when the first zip bat sensor came out, we learned about angles and, and the path and the more scientific stuff we've learned from force plates. We've learned from K vest. I mean, it's crazy, man. Like, you know, we have learned um, what is happening, you know, um, in every as every aspect of performance and the swing, kinesiology, um, everything. However, there's this trend where it's like, this is the right swing, the K vest and, you know, all this, but you know, we're a reactionary event, you know, and and I've said this before, but like working backwards. So what created maximum performance on exit velocity and, and the right angle, like you hit a bolt, um, you were on time and then work backwards from there with the tech and data. Okay. What thought, and what move actually created that for you as opposed to always the tech and then, Oh yeah, did we hit it hard? It's like, dude, like that ain't the way it is, man. This is, this is performance. This is performance. And, um, and guys get there different ways. You know, uh, we've talked about, there's a really elite player. It's a big mass dude that on the K vest is like one, three, two, four, right. His front arm races out in front. Okay. Why does that happen? He also hit the ball 109. So like we won't, wanted to be in sequence and hit 102 no so he does that because he has to and he's a big mass dude and that's usually what the way those guys operate so you know it's like the, the tech and data like i said it's it's cool because it can tell you their story but just starting when they're you know at their performance and being at their best and working backwards i feel like is a really important step in our industry to go to it's different than pitching man we're reactionary you know i've used the theory of right if I'm getting punched, like I'm not the guy throwing the punch. I have to, I don't know how I'm going to block it. I don't know where I'm getting punched. How my mind works to block it is different than the next guy. Mm-hmm. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do is teach hitting to the masses. It scares me to death. I'm like, it's so individualized. We, we can have concepts, mm-hmm. right? Our concepts and our beliefs. Um, this is our concepts. I don't want to tell you how to do it, but I'm going to tell you it ain't happening. And let's figure out how to make your body and your mind get to the right concepts that are production and help us win games. And I think that's more of where I'm at. I've ever been of, of that's like, you know, like the epitome of like really coaching to performance. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, the, the other direction that I was going to ask you about is that just because, and I, I'm trying to figure out a, a, the best way to word this, but basically data can be give and take too. And, and you talked about that with, 
with the with the K vest, if you see a guy that's one three two four and he's hitting really well, or do you change him? And it, let's say a guy has a really low launch angle, and we try and move it up. Like nobody talks about the stories that make guys worse, right? And so that I think that's also something that I know I have to be aware of because I'm like, okay, if I'm if I'm having to make if I'm asking a player to make this change and it ruins his career, that's a big part that's on me too because they may make that change and I'm their coach and they they trust me, they're listening to me, and that happens. That's also something that we have to be cognizant of, and that's something that that I that I was at least keep in the back of my mind. And so you mentioned a little bit about that, but. Is, is that I think that that's something that that you've that you've been referring to as well. But can you talk to us? A no, little man, bit that's about what that? coach, that's what coaching is. You know, it's not mm-hmm. I'm doing I'm the coach and you do this. It's it's you're educating them. They have to make it their own. You have to help them make it their own. Because I, when you're coaching third base as a minor league manager, you're in the dugout like there is nothing you can do, man. It ain't football or basketball. You're not putting on a play. It's like they've got to own it. They've got to have aptitude. Um, they have to know it better than you and. So for me, you're presenting it as it's not my family, it's not my career, it's not my money. It's yours, and you're never going to do something because I tell you to. You're going to ask why. I should be able to tell oh, you. Yeah. I should be able to tell you why and how, and educate you on it. And then, like you know, you have to make it your own and force yourself to do it. So, for instance, you talk about like how guys move differently depends on their contact point in the zone. Some guys hit the ball deep really hard. Some guys hit out front better. Some guys can do both um, based on how they move. But if you're telling a guy like, hey, usually the angles you create are some, some on contact point, not on everybody, but the lift part of your swing is out in front. If you, if you stay in position to hit, right, and you maintain like posture and the integrity of the arc, well, if I stay there and clip the ball out in front, I'm probably going to hit it pretty high. Well, you're also taking chances out there, man. Like, so, you know, as coaches, it's like, yeah, just do this and, and get, get the angles higher you're probably going to make not quite as good decisions and swing and miss more. So there's this cat and mouse game. There's times you're probably not going to be taking so many chances. Uh, You you might need to be more precise. And there's times where you can take chances. But to answer your question, it's what we do every day, man. It's like you're you're educating the player. You're giving him um, the information and concepts. And and then you're getting dialogue. And, you know, the, the, the best feeling in coaching, I've told guys, if, if I feel like I've really made a difference on a player that day, I'm like, man, I feel like I just hit a homer in the show today. Like, go hide in the corner. Like, don't be next to the player. He has to feel like he did it all by himself. Um, you know, I'm going to go to the bathroom and pretend like I have to go to the bathroom and just not be around him because it's like that's the best feeling in the world is you know you helped him and gave him some good information, but he has to feel like he did it all by himself. Like, he doesn't even need you. Um, for me, that's, that's really what, good. like, true teaching and coaching is, man. That's really good. And that's, that's no ego. And that's something that, that, uh, you know, in any industry it's rampant and we have to have some ego because ego helps us to get better and to be confident. But like you said, to be able to, to control it when we need to, for sure. I like that a lot. Uh, so preparing, uh, players for games. And this is something that, that has, I, I I'm assuming has just drastically changed in the last maybe five to eight years based on, this is the, the amount of information that you can get. So uh, what's, your, what's your process in, in going through game planning with players and then talking about their plan and approach uh, for, the, for the next game? Yeah, these are good questions, man. This is something I love as a uh, hitting coach. I think it's like it's, it's competition, right? And um, what's changed the last few years at the big league level is just the game planning against, you know, a team. 
<clears throat> from the pitching side. I mean, everybody now has a advanced guy that is game planning against the opposing hitters. And the trend seems to be the last couple of years, that can change. Some veteran guys I've noticed are still going to do their thing. Um, you can just see it. Um, but for the most part, they're pitching to your weakness from pitch one of the game. And they're not just moving the fastball around. And then when they get in trouble, they'll go to their stuff they need to. It's like from the first pitch of the game, it's like, oh, two breaking ball. I'm like, mercy, man. Jeez. Like they're not trying to go deep in the game. Um, so that's an issue because, you know, the R and D and the pitching, you know, we're at the mercy of what they're trying to do to us. Guys used to sink it and cut it. Now guys are letting four seamers rip at the top and, you know, so they're pitching to the data. So for us, the thing I love about it is we have so much information on the pitcher, like what, the, what the profile of the pitch is doing, number one. So what does this pitch demand of us to hit this pitch? It's not like, does my swing look good? It's like, dude, this guy's ball is like invisible. And if you've got to think you got to swing two feet over it, that's what we're going to think. So like the profile of the pitch, right? So when we're preparing, the first thing that is important is this, what the, the start is, what, this, what the ball is doing. I don't want two pitches as a warm up in the big leagues. Like, we're going to try to mimic that in the cage um, and challenge them and educate them. And from jump street, like we're on it. And this is what the pitch is going to demand of you. And then if guys are facing that helps too, because they'll give you a good recall. Like, yeah, that's, that's right. Or it's not as good as you think, or it's better than you think. Um, so for the starter, and then the other part of it is, all right, this is probably what he's going to do. Um, this is what you struggle with. And this is probably where they're going to attack you. Um, and if it's a good command guy and they have information that, yeah, this guy can, can hit it there. So if I have a lefty hitter who cannot hit the ball away very well, um, but the guy doesn't locate away, it's like, do you want to sit on the inner lane and play to your strength, you know, of what you want, or are you going to, you know, look for what you're going to get right away? And we have that dialogue. And sometimes I'll challenge him. I'll say, dude, this guy ain't giving up nothing like in three starts. Like we might give them the first time through the lineup and we'll make a decision, but um, you know, like this guy's going to hit that spot out there. So how are you going to get to it? Because you can't sit and look for what you want all day. Cause you're going to get it. You know, it's the big leagues, man. Um, so we're, that's the dialogue back and forth with each guy every day in the cage. You know, we, we talk as a group, um, but I have their attention. I say for like 32 seconds max. So that's tricky. Um, but one-on-one -on -one, I'm engaged with them. You know, we have video, I'm talking about what they're, how they're going to pitch them versus what the guy has. And then when relievers come in, that's like intense because you have to learn what each guy wants in the moment. Um, you know, they're looking at you like this and I'm trying to give them something positive because you read the report. It's almost comical how good these guys are. They're like, Oh, this is 99 with extreme high spin, high rise and a hammer, like good luck. You can't even read it to them. Um, so you've got to think of these things in the moment of, you know, hey, it's, it's better than you think. You, you better get it going and you better get above the ball or it's like power sink and you better lean on one and get the bottom of it. Um, you better get him up. This guy gets a lot of chase with stuff down, which means it's like a hammer, right? You're like, it's power breaking ball. It's never a strike. So you better look up at your neck uh, or not swing. And that's what I love doing. Um, but you have to give them a positive what to do. Um, have them prepared, but not overwhelm them because it, it does like, I'm reading this stuff in the big leagues. I'm, this is why I'm not playing in the show, man. This stuff, this is a joke. Like, 
Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And, and, and that was, that's one of my questions too. It's like, okay, well, cool. It's our, my strengths line up with this pitcher strengths. So cool. I, I can look for my zone, but when it's, when my strengths are opposite of what he, we're actually going to get, that's a completely different conversation. So I loved how you framed that with, okay, how do you want to approach this? Like, here's, here's what he does. Here's, you know, what you've done against him in the past. Now, how do we, how do we do this together? That's a really cool way of going about it. Well, I think too, one thing I've learned is you can't let guys so in game, like, okay, the, the first four or five hitters, this guy's on, you know, he's hitting his spots or I can, you know, the video is pretty cool. I'm like, nah, he's making more mistakes than you think. If the guy's looking in, maybe he just leaves one out and it, it sails away on him. And I'm like, well, he's trying to go in on you, man. Like he didn't throw it out there on purpose. That was a miss. Um, you know, things like that are important during the game. But during the at-bat, once you commit to something, it's important to stay with it during the at-bat. You know, you're trying to abort ship and you're, you know, the, what's the, what they call it, the gambler's fallacy, you know, like that's like prevalent, like during the at-bat, I'm like, you're playing the right game, bro. You're playing checkers. He's playing chess out there. Like, you know, stay with it during the at-bat. And if, if during the game goes, we got to make an adjustment, we will. But you have to stay in it during the at-bat and stay convicted because usually if you stay in it, you know, the pitcher is going to make a mistake, um, you know, but they play the odds are all way sometimes. I'm like, it's, you got to make it fun for him. Like it's baseball, man. It's cat and mouse. And that's what makes it, makes it fun. That little game within the game. And you have to have them embrace that and not if they're sitting like soft and you tell them to, and they get an Oh one heater right down the middle. It's not a great feeling. Like I'm going to the Gatorade cooler to get a drink. I'm like, Oh, um, but they have to step out and know, Hey, I was wrong once. It's okay. I'm still in the at bat. Right. So, so conviction is, is a big part of game planning too. And sticking with that. For for sure, man. Like, you know, I always say like, oh, one's a big count. You'll you'll see guys uh, make up on oh one, because if they're in like they get antsy and start putting stuff in play oh one, I'm like, you were f- scared to death to hit with two strikes, man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you can't tell me otherwise. And like, if a guy paints oh one, I'm like, he's not happy you didn't swing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's wishing you would have put that ball in play and been out. Like, he's you're still in the at bat. And like, an interesting stat is like. It varies, but it's around 50% of your bats are you're going to have two strikes on you. So, like that's just part of it, man. And like the, the best players I've been around, they get to 02, like the numbers say you're in trouble, but they can turn the at bat around, you know, and it's going to be 2 2 and now 3 2 from an OPS standpoint to hitters count. So, like you got to stay in it and you're better off, anyways, than 01 putting something in play that, you know, you perform on like nothing. So, Staying in it, conviction, using the hole at bat, like, and just embracing that, educate them. I think when you have a lineup like that, you call it a circle. It's like my joke, like circle, man. Like it's not a straight line; it's a circle, and you, you know, it just keeps going, and they can't get through it. And um, and it takes national game eight guys. The pitcher all stink except for Woody Woodruff can rake, but like, <laughs> you want that circle, like it's like it doesn't stop, you know. And that's what you kind of need that mentality of those at bats all through the lineup. That's great. And so let's dig into the in dugout discussion a little bit, because again, it's, you have a game plan and sometimes uh, the pitcher has more sync that day, or uh, they, they don't have feel for their slider that day. I mean, things can change in a game. When, what is a point that that you recognize that? And then what is a point where maybe 
you start to change the game plan a little bit? And then also, you know, uh, just take us through what a, an in-game dugout experience would look like with you and some of your players. Yeah, so I think what's – my first experience in the big leagues was 2011, ironically. I was just an A-ball manager, low A. I was shocked. Um, got to go to the big leagues for September. So what an experience, man, you know. Um, but like seeing how intense a major league game is. You know, I was with Miami. Our first road trip was Milwaukee, Miller Park. And they were, they were in it. Um, they actually clinched. They were there. Braun hit a big homer. Never forget it. Hanging slider from Clay Hensley. Um, but how intense it is for them. And so like they're, they're, I don't say difficult to speak to, but you know, I'm very respectful of that. Like I'm not forcing myself on him. You can just see the intensity in their eyes. Um, you know, so I don't force myself on them. I think when guys are going well, I tend to challenge them more. I'm more edgy because you can, um, when guys are struggling, you're more coddling them. Um, like guys that know me joke about it. They're like, Oh, I had a great night last night. You know, Haynes, you in a bad mood with me? And I'm like, no, man, I like, uh, I just, I think that's how you do it. You know, I get a little edgy and push him, like not backing off. Um, but say if a guy struggles his first two at bats, usually they go to, um, if they start going to their swing too early, they'll create their own problems. I'm aware of that a lot. I'm like, you weren't on time. You didn't swing it in. You're good at swinging at like, don't talk about your swing right now, man. Like you gotta get started early. You got to get a good pitch, man. Like you're trying to keep it simple. Um, or sometimes guys will be in denial. Like they're, I see them miss multiple pitches to hit in the zone. And they're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm all right, man. They'll get that way too. So you have to challenge it because you're like, well, last I checked, you're like the best in the world. And those pitches you don't miss. And you've missed like five of them. So I got something being off. And I have to know what it is before I say that. Um, but you're coaching in there, man. And sometimes you're giving them space, but you're coaching them and you can't let the results dictate everything. It's more about like them being at their best all the time. And you can't back off because that'll keep you from panicking when they're 0 for 12. And it keeps you from fooling yourself if they're on this hot streak, you know? And I always say like the beautiful thing about the pro game in general, but especially the major league game, the 162, it's so long. You can't trick a major league season. Like, if you're doing things right over 162, you're going to get rewarded. Like you're going to be better as the year goes on. And if you're not, then the season's going to expose you. So I don't want to fall in that trap of riding that wave. It's just like, if we're relentless on this, being your best um, and staying out of that, it's going to keep you out of fooling yourself during the bad times and creating problems. And then fooling yourself just because you're performing well. And that's human nature. That's really hard for players not to do. And I think that's like probably one of my biggest jobs during the season it's exhausting but i think that's the best way to go about it sure and, and you're gonna have some guys that that go through slumps and, and maybe it's better with the veteran guys i'm not sure just because they they've gone through that grind uh, you know like you, you mentioned ryan braun he's been through it a lot and uh through just the ups and downs of, of the 162 plus and so you know what what's what's your role in and helping guys that are like 0 for 20 with with 15 punch outs and just kind of walking them off the ledge a little bit because like you like you mentioned every at bat matters and uh but you've also got a lot of them and so so how how do you help the players to deal with slumps uh especially when they have a decent like you know it's not like five at bats with five strikeouts that sucks but I wouldn't consider that a slump but you go for like one for 30 and then there's some things that that you need to talk about just again i'm just throwing something at you but but how do you deal with that 
No, man, these are really good because um, this is my life, what I deal with. Uh, I, I, what I've gone to is I show them in the past. Um, this has happened to them before. Or I'll, or I'll show them Mike Trout, you know, his MVP year in June, you know, for two weeks, like he was 0 for 19. Um, you know, and I always go to it, uh, something to give them that it just happens. It's the nature of the season. Um, how you handle this will define your season. It's just inevitable. You know, whoever wins MVP, I'll tell them, is going to go through the same type of stretch. It's, it's the game. The game doesn't cooperate sometimes. Um, it, so giving them – and then look at their past, right? And I'll say, look at your baseball card here. Like, this has happened to you every year, different times of the year. Remember how you persevered through it. Um, so get, you're giving them hope and, and realize that it's just part of it, man. It's the nature of the season. It's inevitable. It's what you go through. I always joke. I say, it's not Disneyland, man. Like we're down here in the jungle. This is like, like no matter if you're MVP or you stink, like it's still messy. And, um, that's great. And it's long. So I think giving them that, um, has, I, I felt like has kind of showed them like, okay, it is part of it. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you're reiterating like, Hey man, this is what you signed up for. Like, and you're kind of encouraging them. This is the best in the world. The defense is what, uh, as a hitting guy, the pitching is so good. But I think on a nightly basis, the plays that's made against your, your guys is what's like, it's just excruciating, man. Like falls <laughs> in the gap, how sure. much ground guys cover. Mm -hmm. You know, they joke that ground balls are out. So I'm like, yeah, because have you seen the infielders? Like, are you kidding me? And the way they shift you? Um, so that's like what is eye-opening. And as a hitting coach, you're just – it's excruciating to go through it with them because they have this great at bat. It's five pitches long. Mm -hmm. you know, and they stay in it and they win it and they hit a, a missile two iron and then it's caught somewhere diving catch. And you're like, kidding me, man, this is what we're doing. Um, but it also makes it fascinating. Sure. Sure. And speaking of the shift, it's something that we all have to deal with now. And it's something that obviously data makes sense as to why infielders are doing that. And that's where most people hit it the most. That's why they're over there. So what's kind of our approach next? Like what, what are we, where do we go from here? Do we just say, Hey, hit it where they're not. Or do we say, Hey, we're going to bun here. I mean, kind of what's, what's your thought process behind that? I don't know if it's a conversation that you've had with, with your players or not, but it's just, you know, something that once one side makes an adjustment, then we have to adjust to that side too. So just something that I'm curious about. Yeah. Obviously for lefties, it's, you know, it's painful for righties. Don't experience it, you know, as much for left-handed hitters. You, you know, you see him hit a, a line drive to right field, you know, and the second baseman's out there and shallow right catches it um, or just any ground ball, like rocket. Um, and that's why, like, hitting the ball in the air became prevalent, especially for lefties. Um, you know, and, and education on game situations, I think, is big, like game within the game. Um, you know, I joke with guys like, hey, man, ground balls are outs. Like, you know, like – we're not trying to hit no ground balls, but I, I say then the two biggest ground balls of my life were opposite field ground balls. Got me a world series ring, Montero and Zobras. <laughs> They're opposite field ground balls, man. Like, um, so game situation, um, you know, if we have power left-handed hitting guy up and, you know, we don't want to do him a favor by trying to manipulate the ball the other way. Um, you know, so, but we want to play the game and, um, uh, be versatile and, kind of do what the game requires us to do. Um, like for instance, I saw 
it was, I forget what year it was, it was literally right-handed hitter and first and third. And they played, so they're holding the guy on first. The second baseman was on the pull side of the bag, shortstop. So the whole right side of the field was open. Now, this is an RBI situation. And our guy, like, inside out of one, ground ball to right field. And I'm still fascinated by it because I'm like, the other team's not guessing either. They obviously thought the trade-off was worth it. But I'm like, man, for an RBI, um, you know, uh, just by hitting the, a ground ball to the right side, that much real estate open, that's no in the game. Um, you know, when to, like for a lefty, when to bunt. You know, I, I talked to our R&D guys. I'm like, hey, a walk is so valuable. You know, on base is a little more valuable than slug, supposedly. So why is bunting against that shift? Like, you can't tell me that's not valuable if a walk's so valuable. Like, they're giving it to him. And you can't just say hit a double or homer. Like, that's not easy, man. That's <laughs> um, So, it, you know, I don't have the exact answer. I know the game within the game um, is important in the game situation. Um, you know, and you play in the long game, right? Like, we know the long term what we should do. But then there's these leverage moments too, like these weighted moments I call them where, hey, you can win the game right here if you if you do the correct thing. So it's a, it's constantly studying it. Um, but I do think like getting on base is king um, and, and keeping it moving. So when they give you things, there's two things a lefty can do. I'll summarize it by this. I say if they're giving it to you and you do it, number one, you're on base. And then number two, you st- they start thinking about not shifting you. So if you can accomplish both those things, they're not as aggressive shifting you. You know, you can show them their numbers when they're not shifted and everything goes up. So you're really trying to accomplish both things. You know, you get on base if you can like butt and beat the shift if it's there um, and then get them to stop shifting you. That's huge too, right? If you have that, have that tool in your, in your belt. Oh, that's great. That's great. Sorry, a little off the cuff question, but you mentioned shifts and it piqued no, it's my good, curiosity. Man. It's good. So with, uh, let's go back a little bit because I skipped over just pregame routines. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's, you've got 162 games in a season and really the only time that you have <laughs> to make any sort of changes or, or to continue to uh, concrete things, uh, continue to just ingrain things would probably be pregame. Uh, maybe after games, but I'm sure they're tired. But it seems like uh, talking to major league guys, which luckily I've gotten the privilege of, of doing a couple, it seems like that is a huge part of the season for you guys. Uh, for you, is it? And then how do you how do you go about pregame routines? How do you help them with that? Uh, do they bring it to you since they're big league guys? I'm sure they have their own. Uh, do you make suggestions? I mean, what's what's your thought process behind just pregame routines in general? Yeah, so the guys that are established, I feel like they're – you know, it's hard to be very domineering with their routines, even if I'm not like all in on their routine. Um, I'll ask them, say, Hey, you've ever thought about challenging yourself with this? Um, you know, and you know that some guys are open. Some guys are just, they've had so much success with their routine. Um, I get it. Um, the younger guys, you know, you, you have a little more leeway with them. Um, I still want to give them the opportunity. If a guy comes to the big leagues, like show me your routine, show me what you do. Um, and then as they go over time, it's like, I can make suggestions. I don't want to make suggestions right away. I want them to show me who they are, their routine, what makes them go. But, you know, I, if I had my way with them, I think every guy I would, I would challenge way more. Um, especially cause your day structured like early hitting when they get to the park, then you have team BP. Then you have like before the game. So like before the games, when I like to have the machine set up on the profile, whatever the pitch is going to be, 
um, kind of like the release height, whether the offset is, um, we have all that stuff. So, and I want to really challenge them. Like, this is the profile of the pitch, man. And, you know, we have, you know, all the stuff to do it. So, um, I keep pushing and in the minor leagues, we do it. So as the guys come up, they're more and more open to kind of practice a little differently and prepare. But this, but the structure of the day is like early hitting. Um, and like I said, I kind of want the same thing every day, not going off the rails. If you're going good, you're not going to be in there and shutting it down. If you're going bad, you're not taking 10,000 swings. It's like, let's have some clarity every day of how to be your best. That's really important. Like just clarity every day, regardless of the results. And you know, if something's off, um, I'm here for you and I'm going to tell you and you can tell me and, and we'll go watch video and then we'll, we'll hit extra, but we're not going to create problems that aren't there. Um, you know, and then when we're going good. We're not going to think that we got to figure it out. Like it's every day be at our best and, and what the game is going to require of us that night, um, to be at our best, which is a lot. So yeah, man, it's like, uh, I kind of joke, like the hitting guys are kind of secluded from the world. Um, you know, like all these people come to the clubhouse and coaches had these talks and like, dude, we're in the nets for like six hours in there. Like we don't know what's going on. Um, but that's the fun part of it too. No, no doubt. No doubt. I love that. And, and a big part of your day is, is probably setting up your routine to help yourself get better and then spending all of that time with the players. And so how, what does your daily routine look like? Because again, this is, this is something that I was really looking forward to digging into, but I didn't get to experience because, you know, we're in COVID-19 right now and not playing. Uh, and so what does your daily routine look like and how do you get the most for one, keeping yourself healthy uh, and continuing to grow, but also preparing yourself to help your players to dominate that night's game? I'm laughing because like keeping myself healthy during the seasons, like, missing a meal and just drinking more coffee. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> you're just trying to stay alive. Um, That's good. well, on the, on the hitting side, you just, you have your 12 guys. I have an assistant, um, hitting coach, which is awesome for the workload of it. Um, Jacob Cruz last year I had Jason Lane. He's still on our staff in a different role, but, uh, Jacob Cruz, who I've known a long time. So having him is huge. You, you need another guy now. And we have our advanced guy, uh, Brian Powalish, who does tons of work. So really I get to the park and it's um, right. I usually watch uh, the at bats the night before. Um, I watch all those at bats, so they're fresh on my mind. Because I don't want any player to ask me um, something, and I'm saying I don't know. I haven't watched it. You know, that's not it. Like <laughs> they got to know that I've I've watched it. So I watch all the at bats the night before, um, and then I go right into who we're facing that night um, on the mound. I visit with our advanced guy. Uh, with our assistant, Jacob will be, will be with me. And then, um, you know, I go to all the relievers, the starter, and then, then I dig in myself, uh, on the starter. And then I start putting the like basically for each guy, you know, I have to like make notes on each guy of like, what we talked about, like what this guy's good at uh, on the mound, how he's going to attack our guy based on what our guy is not good at. And then that way, those conversations in the cage, you know, I'm on it like, hey, this is most, this is what you're good at. Remember, do you want to sit in there or, you know, most likely this is how he's going to attack you, um, you know, and let's get the plan, the profile, the pitch, um, things like, you know, of that nature. So that's very time consuming. And usually I like to get a bulk of that done. Um, talk about trying to stay healthy. I usually try to do like a little workout or something at least 
um, you know, and then more coffee. And then um, when the players show up, it's over. Um, you know, and they're there early, like right after lunch. So I'm there early just because when the players show up, man, like I'm not, you know, I don't have much time for anything else. And then we've got a great setup in our cage with computers and screens everywhere. So we get a little downtime or a little break between players coming in. I can try to, uh, you know, get on our system and, you know, you're, you're managing your time. Um, but then you're doing your routines with guys. And then I love to talk to, uh, counts, our manager and Murph, our bench coach about other things about the game and what they're thinking. And I love having dialogue with them about players and just kind of having them help them keep the pulse of what's going on. And then, um, you know, you have your team batting practice and then after BP, usually somebody wants to, maybe if they're not playing that night, usually they're in the cage. So there's no break. You go right to the cage to see who's waiting on you machine or something different. And then, um, you know, uh, the home games, to be honest, like since we're not hitting first, some guys hit till right when they go on the field, you know? So I usually miss the first, like first top half inning at home. It's like, uh, we joke me and our assistant, like that's the five minutes we get, like just to like take a breath and, uh, go to your locker and you have like five minutes to catch your breath and you take a deep breath and you go on the field and you know, we're getting ready to hit. So, um, it's a monster. And, uh, it takes a lot of people, man. It's not just me, you know, like my assistant, our advanced guy, all of our R and D guys. Um, it's a monster. It takes a lot of people to, to make the day go for the hitters. I love that. And again, I love getting to see a peek inside, you know, of where you try and prioritize your time, just because I think that, that that's super, super important. And obviously, you know, knowing you for the last hour, uh, you're a very structured person. And, and so that was, that was a really good question for you. And I thought you nailed it. Uh, but I do have one more question for you before we get into uh, the lightning section, the quick hitters. Uh, so when we get the, the awesome opportunity and, and, you know, you at the highest level, uh, to work with players from all different backgrounds in all different parts of the world in all different languages. And so what's, what's your best advice for uh, coaches who, you know, want to get to know their players culturally? Uh, they may not, we may have a lot of, of players who speak uh, English as their second language. So getting and trying to connect with them uh, can, can be a challenge, which is a welcomed one, I think. Uh, but what's kind of your process without saying, Hey, this, you need to do step one, steps two, steps three, because I don't think that that's, it's that easy, but kind of what are some ways that you found to be able to connect with guys from different cultures than what you grew up in? Yeah, you do, you do need to try to learn the language. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to become fully bilingual if you don't immerse yourself over there. But like initially when I was in rookie ball, I took, uh, did the Rosetta stone thing. <laughs> that's all I knew to, to do. So at least I had some vocabulary. Um, I could say phrases to let them know that, Hey, I'm learning Spanish. You know, I'd say it in Spanish. I'm learning man, like me and you, and you can help me. And then I would challenge them at that level to not be, a, have any fear of sounding crazy, like being wrong. Cause grammar is hard, like conjugating the verbs. Like it's hard, man. Like they say adjectives different than we do. So I would say it and know enough to, to tell them what, why you're doing it. I'm like, I would tell them, like, I know I'm sound crazy, man, but look, I'm learning. And they, you see them like that. They, they know at least you're making an effort. Um, you're trying to embrace them and then realizing that they ain't us, man. They didn't grow up like us. Um, you know, they need different things than us and that's, that's fine. Um, we're not trying to change them. We want 
them to embrace who they are and then really spend time with them. You know, they're watching to go see if you're going to just hang out with a guy that looks like you all the time, you know? And it's like, no, gravitate to them during stretch, hang out with them, talk to them and joke with them, say silly things in Spanish. Um, don't make any sense. You have to make that effort every day. Um, or they're not going to trust you. You're not gonna be able to coach them and make an impact. Um, so it's, it's an effort and then they'll, they'll embrace you and, and it'll help you learn the language. And, you know, um, you're going to learn why they're emotional. You're going to learn why they feel the way they do, the pressure they feel from back home. Um, all these things, you have to be aware of that. And it's like a, a fascinating thing too, when they know that you care about them and you're going to spend that time with them. It just takes effort and it has to be genuine and it can't be do it today. And then a week later, do it again. It's every day. Um, you make an effort to go to them, check on them. Everything okay. Um, and like I said, he, the language is important that you make an effort, man. They, they appreciate it. Um, and it's just time, you know, they, they want your time. I love that. And great answer. Uh, so, uh, lightning section. So I'm going to ask you just some quick, okay. quick hitting questions. You can take as long as you need to answer them. And, and again, yeah. I, I know we're a little over on time, but it's truly, truly yeah, it's appreciate, yeah, it's appreciate, good. appreciate you spending t- some time with us today for sure. But what's the latest thing that you've learned that, uh, has gotten you really excited? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, I don't know if there's one thing in particular, I would say everything that like holistically how we can develop a hitter. We just can use everyone from the strength coach to tech to, um, R and D. Uh, I got my son in the background. He loves it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say just more of a holistic way we can develop a hitter and use everyone as opposed to just being the hitting coach. I would say that's what excites me. Cause that's, you know, the way it should be. Oh, fantastic. Uh, another one, because I, I think that this one, this one is, is, is easily applicable. Uh, what is something that you guys do in training? It can be before games, spring training, off season or whatever, but what's something that you do in training that you know that your players love to do? <laughs> There's a big difference between what I love and what they love. Um, <laughs> what I love to do is just have everything for them, you know, like no stone unturned. Like if we can put them in a lab, like where, everything is measured, right? Like force plates, uh, K vest, batted ball data, swing path, have their whole story for them and not tell them this is what you should do, but this is what makes you who you are, right? This is how you do it. Um, and then have the strength coach involved. How's a guy move? What's his limitations? You make this adaptation. That's not a negative thing. That's what you do really well. Um, so putting that together, um, I love it. Number one, and you see it for them, instead of me telling them or giving my opinion, it's this is who you are, man. Like we helped show you who you are, why you're so good. And now I think you have them where they know what you're teaching off of. You know, we're just teaching off, off of what makes them great. Um, that's what kind of gets me fired up is like just finding the best way to do it and not following like the trends or, you know, whatever I think's trendy. It's like, no, we're finding the best way for you. Um, and you see them kind of light up and it's a breath of fresh air for them. That's just kind of what fires me up. I love that. What is your biggest coaching pet peeve? So thinking about maybe something that you did in the past that you're like, Ooh, yeah, I don't want to do that again. Or, or if you see some, <laughs> if you see someone that you, someone maybe you're, that you work with and you're like, Oh, that's, that's something that I want to make sure that, that yeah. 
You know, um, you know what I mean? I, I don't mean to throw this in a, in a bad way, no, it's but good. It's I'm good trying to because, learn from you. No, it's good. Um, for me, I've made, I've made every mistake you can make in coaching, man. But I would say one of the things I've learned too about that is like, don't fault me for like continuing my education. Like I'm going to be the best I can with what I have, you know? Um, however, I'm, I'm going to hopefully be better next year for you. Um, so when I, you know, you can't, you can't be stuck in your way because you can't say, well, like, you know, you can't fault me for, for growing, I guess. Um, coaches make that mistake, man. So I've made every mistake you can make. Um, but I would say the most unattractive thing for me in coaching or pet peeve is like just inauthentic, like unauthentic, like not genuine or somebody that, that takes credit for what a player does. Uh, that bothers me a lot. Um, from the standpoint of you're taking away of how difficult something is for the player and, you know, um, especially in the major leagues, man, like them being able to perform a task. So if I could say one thing for coaches that players are going to see right away, um, is if, if there's any hint of you taking the credit and if you're like inauthentic, like you just, you lose them. These guys are smart. You're not going to trick them. Even if you're wrong, like. You know, like you, we talked about earlier, it's okay, man. Like, you, you know, they expect you to be perfect, um, you know, and admitting that. Like, but, but those two things, I think, bother me as a coach and players see right through it. Um, and it might work short term, but long term, it's not, it's not happening. Great answer. I love that. Next question would be, what is something that you failed at lately that you don't mind sharing? I fail a lot, man. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I don't know if there's one thing um, failed at lately. Handling the uh, COVID-19 fiasco. <laughs> I suck at that. Uh, is that a good answer? I suck yeah. at it, man. This sucks. Uh, it, yeah, it does. Just um, from, the, from the standpoint of just wanting to be back on the field? Well, just, no, I mean, just for everybody. Um, I mean, this is like what we do, man. This is like who we are. Um, it's ingrained in us, um, you know, the competition. So that's been challenging. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, Hey man, should be in a major league dugout and, um, preparing for a major league game, do all the things we talk about. So I think that's been a challenge. Um, as far as like, you know, something I failed at, I think that's just, I can't say there's one, there's one major thing because I, I would hope I'm not careless or reckless with things where I have to backtrack, but I think it's just an ongoing challenge of, like not following the crowd, like, you know, looking ahead, like, you know, what, what are we up against here? You know, what's happening, what's going to happen and not following the trap of like, you know, what's happened in the past. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to look ahead and not like follow the crowd, so to speak. I think that's something I fight every day. I think we all do. Um, you know, just trying to be ahead of, of kind of what we're up against here. For sure. And, and so the last question I've got for you before we go is what are your favorite books and resources? And I've been staring at your bookcase for about an hour now. So if you could, I would love to hear what you're reading, what you're digging into. And then, you know, it's just some different resources that have helped you, helped you become a better coach. Well, the most recent book um, is a book called Intangibles. Um, her first name is Joan. Joan, I hate Ryan. Joan Ryan. Great. Yeah, so I'm glad good. you picked me up right there. So fascinating book that has not, the topic hasn't been covered a lot. It's about on team chemistry. And I'm only like 20, 30 pages into this book, but um, 
just how she does it from a scientific standpoint, the brain, um, like these primal, like this tribal feeling we have of, of kind of what correlates um, and what team chemistry really means um, in regards to performance. That's like um, right in my wheelhouse, man. Cause I know, I know it matters. I can't verbalize how it matters. Um, but I know we're trying to get high performance out of human beings and that's my whole world. So anything to do with high performance out of a human, I'm like fascinated by. Um, so this book is really cool that and she's going into a lot of scientific stuff, man. Like, so that's really cool. I study successful people, um, some traits they have, um, like, you know, every successful pu- uh, person I've read their book. Um, I read a lot. I actually read during the season more than I do the off season because the off season is about, I have three kids and, and mom at home here. So it takes up a lot of my time, but during the season on the plane or, you know, in the hotel, like I can read, um, some of my favorite books. I love the book. It's your ship. Um, but the USS Benfold because all of us are like middle managers and it's about a Navy, um, captain and what he kind of dealt with, with this like layers of people, which major league organizations now are so big. There's so many layers of people. So it's about trying to be a leader in this dynamic with so many different layers of people, um, and how that's done and how to make an impact. And that's a challenge for a lot of us, right? Like, um, and that's, that's a cool book to read. Um, you know, other than that, like Ryan holiday, every dude kills it with his books. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I, I would say one of the things I go to a lot, um, it's like based off how I coach, I hope, um, it's called the obstacles the way, but one of the best sayings that pertains to like life, but really like a baseball season or how you should coach, how you should play. It's like, there's big myth of that you overcome this obstacle or you climb this big mountain to become in the like land of free and clear. And that's not accurate. Like once you do that, you've just bought yourself like a bigger obstacle and a bigger mountain to climb. And that never stops. So that like mindset of the day to day, like I don't, you know, you hit a walk off Homer. Well, that's cool for like an hour. And then like, it's coming back at us tomorrow. You, you know, now it's not easy. You just bought yourself, you know, a tougher at bat tomorrow. And, um, I think that's the way you should coach. Um, and I, I love Ryan holiday. He kills it, man. Like all the stuff he, he writes is, is really good and relative to like life and baseball. I feel like. Oh, definitely. I, I love Ryan's ri- style of writing too. I think he does a yeah. great job of, of being able to just interweave so many different stories and, and the, and the way that he's trying uh, to get his point across. And that's, that's fantastic. But I know I've taken up a lot of time of yours today. And I, and again, I would just want to say thank you so much for uh, just spending some time with us today. I, I know that I've learned a ton and my notes are, uh, I'm think I'm like four pages in on uh, Evernote. Uh, but, but anyway, so I will link your Twitter on the show notes, but is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, I think we, uh, I think we covered it, man. I think, uh, I'm always impressed by the coaching world. Um, you know, you just have a big responsibility. I think a teacher and a coach, you can't underestimate the responsibility you have, the impact you can make, um, you know, by investing in someone, by believing in them and, and showing them like what they be, can become. You know, my favorite saying in coaching is like, you know, treat a person as they are, they'll remain as they are. Treat a person as they should be and then watch what they will become. And like, that's like why we should all be doing this, man. Like if you think you can like, you have to believe in someone 
um, more than they believe in themselves. And nobody makes ever made it alone. You know, I'm sitting here because I got second chances. I had people give me jobs I shouldn't have had because they believed in me. Um, and it's like, that's what it's about. And, and that's why we should be doing what we're doing. And, and that's really how you make a difference is the power of the mind, man. Like I wish we could measure the brain more, you know, um, that's a real thing. And, um, I think that's why we all should be coaching, teaching. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.